Thank you, Ronnie. Let's go back to Matthew 6 today. We'll be in verse 25 in just a minute. While you're turning there, um, if I were to ask you, what do you believe the worst sin possible that you could commit would be? What would you think? You know, I'm sure that there would be no sort of answers that you probably could come up with an answer to that fairly quickly. Maybe it's murder. Maybe it's abuse of some sort. Uh, maybe it's just simply hatred. Uh, maybe it's, you know, very simply to deny Christ, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, as we read in Scripture. Uh, we could come up with an answer to that fairly easily. But what if I asked you this question? What is the sin that we most often overlook? What is that sin that we most often excuse as being okay? Some people might say that that would be white lies. You know, just those lies that don't really matter. Maybe it's even when we tell a lie for the sake of protecting someone else's feelings. You know, you've been in that situation where someone asked you something, and if you told them the truth, you know it would really offend them, and so you lie about it, and you say, well, you know, that, that was okay because the ends justifies the means. Uh, maybe it was you know, holding a grudge against someone. Maybe we say, well, that's excusable because they hurt me so I can hurt them. But, you know, if we were to really examine our lives and really think about how we live as Christians, uh, the sin that I believe that we overlook the most, the sin that I believe that we excuse the most is simply the sin of worry. The one that we commit the most, that we, that we tend to pass over the most, I believe, is worry. Jesus commanded us in Matthew 6, 25, as we're going to read today, not to worry about your life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything. Yet we overlook that. Yet we pass right over it and, and we excuse worry as okay. We think that it's permissible. We might even say that it's beneficial, that it's helpful uh, we, we're told directly not to worry, but yet we still do. We make excuses. We say, well, I just can't help it. I'm just a nervous Nelly. I, 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 I worry because I care. You know, I would even say that worry maybe even comes naturally for us, comes more naturally for some than others, but it's kind of a natural thing. We tend to fall into it. I mean, think about life as a whole. As kids, we worry about making friends. We worry about making good grades. We worry about making the team. As we get into our teenage years, we begin to worry about finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend, about getting into that college, about picking a, a, a major uh, for college, about choosing a career path. In college, we begin to worry about, are we going to find someone to marry? Are we going to figure out where our job is going to be? Where are we going to live? We worry about those things. In, in our young adult lives, we begin to worry about our work. We worry about making ends meet. We worry about having enough money. We worry about having kids. And then we worry about surviving once we begin to raise those kids, right? And as we continue to age, we just continually find new things to worry about every single day. We worry about having enough retirement savings. We worry about our aging parents. We worry about our own health. We worry about going, you know, buying homes. We worry about going into debt, paying off debt, having health problems, decisions that our kids make, the decisions our grandkids make. We worry about everything, do we not? It is a nonstop stream of things to worry about. We are never at a loss for something to worry about. And it seems like the moment that we finally get to the point, have you ever had this happen, that you sit down and you're finally beginning to relax? 
And you're thinking, man, I finally am enjoying some peace. What happens? Something pops in your mind to worry about. Has that ever happened to you? And immediately your mind goes off on that thing that you forgot to do or that obligation that you have or that thing that you hasn't been resolved yet. Now, I know someone here is going to say, well, you know, Jeff, I, I do worry, but everything that I worry about is justifiable. Everything that I worry about is reasonable. I mean, these things are important. It's my kids I worry about. It's my job I worry about. If I didn't have a job, how could I pay my bills? It's my health I worry about. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's all these things that I worry about, and these are all good things, and I know that they are. I believe that they are genuine concerns. I believe that when we worry, most oftentimes, 95% of the time probably, they are things that really do matter. They are things that really are important. They are things that really are significant. But yet Jesus still said, don't worry. You know, I know this is one of those sermons that are probably going to be stepping on some toes. You're probably going to say, why is the preacher meddling today? Or remember, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. But I want us to see... What it is that Jesus says, why worry is worthless and why it shouldn't be a part of our lives as Christians. And so let's, the first thing I want to say this, the first point I want to make comes from verse 25, and it's simply this, that worry is unjustified. It is unjustified. Let's read verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so Jesus gives us this, this first statement here. He says, do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life. But we better not skip over the first word there. What is it he says there? Therefore. And if you've studied Scripture long enough, you know that every time you come to a therefore, you need to ask this question, what's it there for? I don't know who came up with that, but whichever preacher did it should have copyrighted it because it's a pretty good statement. What's it there for? That word therefore pushes us backwards. It makes us look back. Jesus is connecting what he is saying here about worry to what he just said, I believe, in verses 19 through 24. Now, to give you a review, if you were not here last week, what did we talk about? We talked about how Jesus, in verse 19, told us, Do not lay up earthly treasure, but put our eyes and our focus on heavenly treasure. He said, Make sure that your eye is set on that which is good and not that which is earthly and that which is passing away. He said, Make sure that your master is God and God alone, not money, not possessions, none of those things. That's what we see in verse 19 through 24. And as a result of all that he just said, he then says, therefore, as a result, do not be anxious about your life. And so what he's basically telling us here is that if you struggle with worry, the first source, the first reason, the first thing you need to look at and ask yourself is are you struggling with what he just talked about? If you have a problem with Matthew 6.25, it could be that the source of your problem came up in Matthew 6.19 through 24. That you've set your eyes on earthly things. That you've put your mind on the things of this world. He says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Those are the most basic needs in life, are they not? Food and clothing. Everybody needs those things. But yet Jesus is telling us that even those things are things that we shouldn't spend so much attention on, so much worry on. 
Sometimes we become overwhelmed by even those simple things of the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. He said, it might be that you're being oppressed and obsessed by the things that are seen, the things that belong to time and to this world alone. Jesus said, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear, because the body is, because life is more than these things. It's more than material things. Now, I know that's hard to swallow because these are basic needs. These are the most basic things that we need. But yet Jesus is saying life is more than these things. That even these things which seem big, seem vitally important, are merely physical things. And we don't just live in a physical world. We live in a world that is spiritual. And our attention should not be only on the physical, but on the spiritual. Christ is bringing these very physical problems, these very real needs, back down to size, so to speak. He's saying they seem big in your mind, but it's unjustified. Because really and truly, they aren't so big after all. I've shared this illustration before, but I'll share it again. Um, I don't know how many times that you've ever been driving down the road. Have you ever been driving down the road and like you go into like a really big, thick fog? You know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes between my house and here, out in Arlington is where I live, and, and I'll be driving in the mornings coming to the church um, down 385, and if the weather's that right, you know, as you're coming down the road and there's all that farmland, you can just get just enveloped in a fog. And it's just crazy how thick it can be. I mean, to the point where you just can't see 20, 30, 40, 50 feet in front of you, you just see headlights disappear into the fog. Did you know this? I learned this a while back, that one cup of water is all that it takes to create a fog that is thick enough to cover seven city blocks 100 feet deep. One cup of water. That one cup of water gets divided into 60 billion water droplets and will cover one city block 100 feet deep. I'm sorry, seven city blocks 100 feet deep. And it only takes a few gallons of water to cover an entire city in fog. Something so small can become so big that it, that it pre pre prevents you from being able to see. That's exactly how worry works. It takes something small... Something that is earthly, something that is passing, something that is minor, and it turns it into a fog that covers our minds, that paralyzes, eliminates our ability to see down the road, to see how things could work out. It steals our energy, it steals our joy, it steals our peace. And because of that, Jesus says worry is unjustified. There is no reason we should be Worrying, But there's more of a problem here to worry. Let's look in verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Second point, worry is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Jesus uses what we would call here a lesser to greater argument. He does it twice in this passage. And, the, and what he does there, what I mean by that, is he takes something that is lesser, of a lesser state, a lesser nature, the birds, the wildflowers, something that is a lower point of creation, and he says, if this principle is true down here, and if God cares for these little things down here, how much more does he care for mankind, who is the crown of his creation, right? 
who, who is the pinnacle of what he created. It was man that God said is very good. He didn't say that about anything else with creation except for man and woman. And so if God would care for these little things, don't you think he would care for the most important thing he created? It's the birds here. And he makes this point. Have you ever seen a bird driving a tractor? That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? You're driving down 64 and you go, by, go past some of those uh, cotton fields and corn fields and things like that. And you see some little cardinal sitting on the front of a combine running down. the. That'd be a little, little unnerving, correct? Have you ever seen a bird plowing a field? No. Have you ever seen a bird going to the, to the uh, pharmacy to get some, some medicine for his uh, blood pressure because his stress level's too high? You haven't. You haven't. Jesus says here, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, he says if God's going to feed the birds, the birds, which are wonderful creatures, but yet they're just creatures, don't you think he would meet your needs? He's reminding us of two things here in this verse. First, he's telling us here, he's reminding us that life is from God. It is from God and God alone. That life that you were so anxious about, let me remind you, it came from God. He decided when it would begin. He will decide when your life is going to end. He will decide the path, the things that are going to take place to you, the things that he's going to allow to happen in your life, the roadblocks, the road bumps, the, the potholes, all those kind of things. That's God who is allowing that to take place. He is in complete control. Yet we worry as if he isn't. Life is from God, but secondly, God knows our needs. If he knows the needs of these birds, don't you think he would know your needs? And don't you think if he takes care of the needs of those birds that he would take care of your needs? I mean, imagine this. How many of you have bird feeders in your backyard? How many of you love to put those bird feeders up? I know Brother Jack, uh, he used to always talk about how many bird feeders he had. And every time we would go over to the house, you'd just see every time it seemed like he had one more and then one more and then one more. And they were everywhere. And they're fun to watch, right? We have one in our backyard. Um, and our favorite bird, without a doubt, is to see a cardinal come to the backyard. Uh, we like to hear the doves in the morning. You know, you hear that lonesome dove crying in the morning. It, it just, it's kind of nice. It's peaceful. Um, and so we have all these bird feeders. But let's imagine that I decided I was going to go all in on bird feeders and I was going to put... 50 in my small backyard. I'm going to have them everywhere. And it's just going to be like the sound of music. Birds flying everywhere, you know, um, just singing and everything. And, and let's imagine I did that. And, but, and I would put all this attention into feeding all these birds, but yet I began to neglect my kids. And I, I spent all my money on these birds, and I had no money to put on the table for my children. What would you think of me? You would think I was a pretty neglectful dad, right? Like, why in the world would he care so much about these birds when he's got his kids in the house? Well, if our perfect Heavenly Father takes care of the birds, he's perfect. Don't you think he'll take care of us? Now, let me make a disclaimer here. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't care. He is not saying that we have permission to be lazy, that we have permission to not work. He's not saying that we can just sit back and pray and that our pantry is magically, magically going to be full. 
He's not saying that our bank accounts are magically going to fill up if we just pray. We don't have to do anything about it. Poof, the money's going to show up. He's not saying that all our diseases and our sicknesses are just going to disappear because God cares. And if we just got to pray about it and not worry and boom, there it is. Because one thing you got to consider here is that when you think about birds, what do you see birds always doing? Working. They are always on the move looking for food. It seems that birds hardly ever rest. They are constantly on the move. Yet, yet Jesus makes it clear here that even in that work, God is the one that provides. The birds do what they're called to do, search for food. God provides. Scripture commands us to work. It commands us to, to take care of our families. It commands us to be responsible. It tells us to repay our debts. It tells us to save for emergencies. And when we live obediently to his word, God meets our needs. God uses those channels of obedience to meet those needs most of the time. But here's another difficulty that I'm, I'm sure probably would come up. What about birds that starve? What about birds that die? Did God not care about that bird? Or even more importantly, what about people, the poor among us, who can't seem to get their needs met and they just starve? The poor in our world that don't have enough and they struggle to get by and they die of starvation? What about those kids that we see on those commercials on TV uh, with the bellies that are so distended because they have no food and they're starving to death? What about them? Did God not care about them? Well, two things I think we need to say here is that, first of all, the Bible never says that we will be exempt from trouble. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Disease and sickness are real. Starvation happens. People suffer. Trouble will come. But also think about this. I, I came across this in a commentary this week. And, and it kind of stopped me where I was. Um, when we see real physical needs go unmet, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. God doesn't fail to care for the needs of his children. And how does he meet those needs very often? Through his church. And if we see needs that are going unmet, maybe it is that God placed us in that situation to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we didn't do something, maybe it's that we failed and God didn't fail. And so never should we look around and say, well, God must have failed over there. No, it's not God that failed, it's us. That if we saw the need and we did nothing, I believe Scripture talks about that. James says, you know, if you see someone in need and you just pat them on the back and say, God bless you, you know, without doing anything, what, you, what good is that faith? Now, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but let's get back to the topic of worry. Third thing I want us to see here is that worry is unproductive. It's unproductive. Look in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I mean, think about it. When is the last time that you worried about something and it actually did you any good? I mean, when? When is the last time that you worried about something and it actually solved a problem? It actually cured the sickness? When's the last time that you worried and it made you get a new job? When's the last time that you worried and it fixed the relationship problem? The answer to all those questions would be a big fat never. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He says, when, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The point is this, is that worry is bad at math. Worry doesn't add to your life. It subtracts 
from our lives. It doesn't cause us to get away from the problem. It makes us unable to deal with the problem. It doesn't help us to think clearly. It robs us of our ability to think clearly. It doesn't help us to sleep better. It causes us to sleep worse. And oftentimes I believe that worry causes us to multiply the problems we deal with because when we begin to worry, what do we tend to do? We try to get ahead of God and we try to solve those problems many times outside of the will of God. We try to do things our way because we're impatient with what God is trying to bring about. And so we think that worry will destroy tomorrow's problems, but in reality what it does is that worry overpowers our ability to handle today's problems. That's what Jesus said in verse 34. Look down at verse 34. He said, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The great missionary Corey Ten Boom said it like this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And isn't that true? Worry is a waste of our time. It's a waste of our energy. It's a waste of our strength. It's a waste of our mind. And lastly this morning, I want us to see that worry is unworthy. It's unworthy. Look in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Worry is unworthy, and here's the reason why. Did you notice the title for God that Jesus used in verse 32? Look back there. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father... Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father. He said the same thing back in verse 26. Worry is unworthy of your time because you are a child of God. Because God is your heavenly Father. It's another one of these lesser to greater arguments. right? He, he takes the wildflowers this time. He says, look at these wildflowers. God has cared so much to create these wildflowers the, these, these weeds, in a sense. And you know what they did with these wildflowers? They would allow them to grow. They would cut them down. They would then bundle them, allow them to dry. And then they were used as fuel to bake bread. They would toss them in the oven, light them on fire, and bake their bread that way. And so you have these, this wildflower, which is beautiful, and man cannot match it. He said even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these, couldn't create the splendor of a wildflower. Yet this thing, which is here today and gone tomorrow, God cared enough to create. But you are God's child, and you are going to live eternally. That this thing over here is very much temporary, but you are immortal. Don't you think as God's child he'll take care of you? Because you will forever be his child and he will forever be your heavenly father. He said there in verse 29, 
I'm sorry, verse 32, he said, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And so when we begin to worry, we begin to act like the world. We begin to live like the lost. But he says, no, 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 no. You live like the saved, like a child of God. Never forget the position you have as a child of God. That is a reason enough to give up on worry. So what's the solution? What do we do about this? Worry is a constant battle, right? We are going to worry. Uh, we are going to find things to worry about. I don't think we'll ever be finished with fighting worry completely until the day we step from this life into the next, whether that be at our death and we're ushered into heaven at that point or whether Jesus comes back, whichever one happens first. And so knowing that worry is unjustified, that it's unnecessary, that it's unproductive, that it's unworthy, what should we do? First thing is this, set our eyes to God's kingdom and righteousness. That's what he said in verse 33, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He is summarizing what we talked about in Matthew 6, 19, right? He said, set, no, he said, you're worrying about earthly things. You've gotten off on the wrong path again. Set your eyes back on God's kingdom, on his righteousness, and so when we find ourselves worrying, we need to reorient our, our focus back to heavenly things. Now, it does not mean that we're going to live a problem-free life. Life is going to have trouble. But what it means is that when we give up on worry and we begin to focus our eyes on God, we'll see our problems in the right perspective. And we'll realize that God is bigger than our problems. Instead of allowing the fog of worry to cause us not to be able to see the Lord, we will see through that fog and say our God is bigger than the fog. What it means is that, that when we seek God's righteousness through his word, he's going to give us more than enough wisdom to know what to do about that problem. Correct? He's going to show us because we are his children and he wants to show us his will. What it means is that when we pursue Christ, God will shape our desires. And even when things don't go the way that we wish they would, He'll help us to understand why it is that that was His will and not what we wanted. But I would also add this. We should set our eyes to God's righteousness, but we should set our minds to prayer. To the practice of prayer. And I'll take you to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Turn there real quick. I don't think that one's going to be on the screen. This is that other place where Scripture directly commands us. It's not, these aren't the only two places, but this is that other place that I want to point out today where Scripture directly says, do not worry. Philippians 4, 6. If you're there, say amen. If you need a little more time, say hold on. All right, we're good. I hear a page or two turning. Almost there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are going to face circumstances in which we will naturally begin to think that worry is the solution. We, will re we are going to go through things that are really problems. 
extreme difficulties. That is a fact. But if worry is really useless and it's really powerless, like Jesus has told us it is, and like we really do believe it is, if it really is pointless to worry, then why should we spend our energy on something that doesn't do anything? Instead, let's do the one thing that does do something. He says right here, what's the solution? Pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Another word for prayer there. Let your requests be made known to God. And so instead of wasting my time worrying, when I come to those points where I feel like worry is about to overcome me, and I, and I think that I'm beginning, going to begin to fret about what's coming, instead of worrying, instead I should fall to my knees and pray to the one person in this universe that can actually change the situation that I'm in. Pray. It's the one thing that can actually change something. And when we do that, I think two things will happen. Number one, as we pray, I believe that God's wisdom is going to fill our minds and we're going to understand God's will for our lives. But two, what does this passage say? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you tired of worry? Are you sick and tired of fretting over things? Today, give up on it. Say, I'm done. I'm done worrying. Instead of worrying, I'm going to do exactly what Scripture says. Seek the Lord in His Word and seek Him in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, You are the solution to all our problems. All our struggles can be taken care of by You. Father, we know that sometimes when we pray, You don't remove the problem. Sometimes it remains, but... You give us an understanding of your will as we seek you and as we seek to honor you and walk with you through that. Father, I pray for the, the wonderful souls in this room right now, God, who maybe worry is a problem for them. I think at different points in all of our lives, we begin to worry, we fret, we get anxious. But I don't want to waste my time on something that won't change anything. Instead, I want to spend my time and energy talking to the one who can. The one who can move mountains. The one who can calm seas. The one who can raise the dead, cure sickness, feed thousands with five fish and two loaves of bread. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the solution. That worry is just the devil's way of stealing our heart and stealing our attention and taking our eyes off you. But if we would seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, your will, that all of these things will be added unto us. I don't believe your word's telling us that it will magically, everything will work out for, our, for, for what we want it to, to be. But I think what it's trying to tell us is that We'll be at peace with whatever comes our way because we'll know that you're in control. God, help us to live with peace. Help us to remember that prayer is the tool that we have at our disposal that can deal with the problem of worry. 
Father, I pray that there's decisions that need to be made at this time of invitation. God, if there's a soul that needs to receive Christ for salvation, to the individuals that want to join our church and become a part of what we're doing here at Fisherville, or any other decision that needs to be made public, I pray that you would give that person the courage to step out of the aisle and come down here to, to let me know and for us to be able to celebrate with them. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing.